This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Oh, oh, oh wow! Don't they know it's the end of the world? Do you want that more dramatic or like sort of understated or what? This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R 102.7 FM. Yes, welcome, 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 one and all, to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse. Three Triple R's thorn in the side of greenwash bullshit artists at all levels. Uh, tonight we are discussing small innovative producers and the red tape they face in getting change across the line in a world of one-size-fits-all food regulations with none other than Dean O'Callaghan, a.k.a. Dino Goodbrew from the Good Brew Company. As always, co-conspirator in the room is the ultra-mega Adam Grubb. <laughs> Greetings. That's a sound garden album, ultra-mega okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, prefer, I, I prefer meta. Meta. Yeah. The ultra-meta. <laughs> Just make a quick Beeper. correction there. <laughs> and uh, how you be? Uh, be very well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, been, uh, been spanning the genres. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you are genre-spanning. <laughs> how you doing? Yeah, good. Throat's back. Well, the the throat that's not killing me is back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fact. Yeah, you're, you're not so Barry White this week. Yeah, yeah. I, know. I actually kind of miss the baritone, or the baritone. Hey, <laughs> there's an R&B pun early in the show. As uh, joining us on rotation from her coastal bunker beach house as well is the fantabulous Sarah Coles. Hello. Hello. How art thou? I'm okay. Excellent. How are you going? Very good. You sounded terrible last week. I listened to the show. Did you? <laughs> you sounded really, really sick. <laughs> Who's this idiot? Yeah, I, well, I couldn't resist coming in because we had Jackie French. Yeah. And um, that was one that I arranged, and I love her books. Yep. Uh, I love her kids' books as well. And I actually, I actually recycled a... Uh, well, I was about to do it today, dump a doormat out in the backyard when it was past <laughs> its price. She advised us all last week to do that, yep. to help build soil. Build soil with, yeah, yeah. dead wombats and doormats. Mm. Well, like last week, going home advice. from the show, yeah. I, I came across a rabbit that was, like, dragging its paralysed tail end across the road. Oh. And it was far too late in the night to think about preparing that for the table. Mm-hmm. So I had to put it out of its pain. It was in horrendous pain. But that's uh, now buried next to an apple tree, bringing, mm-hmm. the, bringing the vitality. Cycle of life. Cycle of life. <laughs> you know, Something that for all of us. Hello to all the vegans. Thank you. Yes, if you've just tuned in and you're having dinner. And, uh, yes, keeping the sprockets oiled and the gear levers moving smoothly is the possibly exhausted from watching too much Euro d'Italia, Jed McCartney. Evening. How is the Juro? Oh, I'm excited. I uh, put it on the other night and I thought... I've been there. And uh, on Saturday night was the what they call the Queen stage, the big stage. Mm. They rode up, uh, I don't know, four or five mountains and uh, 
three of the ones they rode up, I had ridden two of them and stopped halfway up the third one. Yeah, but right. They rode them all in one day. It was massive. It is huge, but basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a magnificent scene. Do they wee while they're riding, or they? They um they stop and have a, a natural break. Some ah. of them do yeah. on the bike, but um, mostly when it sort Probably of flattens off. a huge competitive off advantage. Yeah. yeah. No, they um they do it when it's all flat and you know everyone waits while that you'll see them. They all spear off into the, uh-huh. the side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. Have a quick one and then jump back on. It's like so. when you're walking home from the pub with mates and it's like <laughs> I've got a gush. Yeah. I just hold up. Yeah. 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 Everyone slows down and waits for you to catch up. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, so what have we been looking at this week, kids? What has caught our eye? I've got something quite lightweight, so do we save that for the end? I mean, you, what do you guys got? Is I can out-lightweight you, I reckon. Oh, shit. That was pretty good, though. The, uh, I was looking at the uh, Rodale Institute, sort of organic um, uh, institute in the US. They've got an article. Oh, it's a terrible name, actually. Scientists prove um, goats are better than chemical weed killers. Well, I mean, it's... They're talking about a specific incident, uh, but they have been doing some tests with goats in the US, in New England, where for ages they've been trying to battle these reeds which are um, going along the countryside. It doesn't say whether they're native or not, but they're um, they're considered a pest anyway. And, uh, you know, heaps of money's going in Monsanto's pocket, all these chemicals going into the coastal ecosystem... And so they've started trialling and they've done scientific trials through Duke uh, University and they're finding that the goats are just, like, smashing it and they're turning it into um, happy goats instead of uh, people's jobs. Goats are loving it out there. And uh, anyway, it seems like good news story. I, I mean, I, I love working with goats. I've done a bit of it tackling tackling uh blackberries in the country mm. where instead of spraying them you, you you just go out wandering with some goats and uh they they love they love blackberries and that it actually gets to the point where i started thinking of the blackberry as a resource because we were hitting it so hard that it was like wow i want to save some for next year you know yeah like they're really effective they're stubborn um, animals i like goats but they do have square pupils which oh, yeah. I find That's a bit creepy. I touched satanic. a billy goat for the first time a few weeks ago. Did you wash the smell out yet? No, well, yeah. I kept going, whoa, is that me? And then I realised it was on my hand just from the gentlest touch. That is n- yeah, not a not a pleasant smell. No. 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 But the, but, but the ladies there, um, yeah, they, they don't have any of that. He does, just, yeah. just Just the evil glare. Billy goats do that really weird directional pissing on themselves. To This is how they, this this, is how, you know. How the billy goat, I touched his head. How yeah. to get it up there? Because if you just saw his willy, <laughs> it would all make sense. But a, a, oh one of the properties I work on has this billy goat, and you can smell him from about 50 metres. And after a day dealing with this guy, you don't really go home and wash your clothes, just go home and burn them. <laughs> you know, uh, they are pretty horrendous. But that, that goat thing's good, Adam, because that, that's not the first time we've chatted about that on the show, because there's, there's a business out in southern New South Wales rent a goat or hire a herd or whatever it's called it's, it sounds kinky um, but they do the whole thing with weed clearing with their goats so I think it's a much better option if you can contain them and if they're not pissing on you I think did we, did we mention once a Google do it on their headquarters you know <laughs> Silicon Valley tech headquarters they don't have like drone lawn mowers they, goats. Have, they have goats and a goat herder yeah. on your Google do no bad or whatever it was called Okay, well, I'll go from very lightweight to lightweight yet kind of 
edgy. Across the pond, crooks are stealing rare breed chickens. So this is from Modern Farmer US. It says here, it used to be the only environments you had to worry about snatching your chickens were foxes, raccoons, birds of prey and the like. But that was before the rise in popularity of raising fancy heritage breed chickens. And so this is a cracker. In the UK, there's now happening... There is actually a, a, a uh, craze for um, would-be thieves in knocking off rare breed chooks. I, I understand that urge. I've had, I've had severe chook envy. Because you, mm. you, you get a breed... That is good for laying, like you get your um, your bright on red or your classically your eyes are brown, mm. and and they've been bred so much for laying eggs, they actually look a bit crappy. They don't put enough energy into their feathers, and then you go around, someone's got a lovely New Hampshire, yeah, <laughs> or a uh, nice Dorking cross, nice Dorking cross, <laughs> yes, <laughs> or, or a new, you know, uh, Sussex speckled Sussex, oh. and you're like, or get a light envy. Sussex, a light Sussex, you get, and, if and just you, you find yourself subconsciously planning. You know, <laughs> yeah. to hit them in, at night. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, there was uh, we had this rooster for a while. I got given this by a customer, and he was an English game cock. And let me emphasise the last part of his name. There, now he was the most handsome, good-looking chook I'd ever seen mm. by a country mile. But you know, when you went to school, and there was a really good, like kind of in the cliche Hollywood movie, the really good-looking guy who gets all the women is usually a prick. So this chook went. I mentioned it last year on here. This one went the hack on all of us. Hmm. Tore me up. Tore up the kids. Then I sent him off to live on a farm where a chicken four times his size took him down. <laughs> took him down. But now he's mellowed. But this is crazy. So there's a chicken breed, and you got to look this up. It's an A.M. Kimani. And there's been people selling fertile hatching eggs of this extremely rare and entirely black chicken for over a thousand pounds. That's just an egg. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. You could just spray paint a normal egg. <laughs> I don't think they're a normal chook. <laughs> normal chook. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, no, that's a thing. People forge white leaves. I reckon I could forge a chicken. <laughs> like just paint it. You know what? I want you to do it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Bring me something that's fluoro pink. Yep. You're done. I just lend you a spray can. But um, Colsey, your your piece tonight. Mine's not it. as light. No, certainly not. But it is awesome. Um, mine's about survival cannibalism, a topic that I've been getting interested in. Um, I was listening to a podcast called Stuff You Should Know, which I recommend to everyone. the po- The website says the purpose of the show is to educate people about common things and how they work. So. So I listened to the true stories of survival cannibalism. <coughs> so I should caution Triple R listeners if you have young children in the room or a squeamish, probably don't listen for about the next three minutes. Um, the episode summary reads Cannibalism is the macabre practice of eating other humans, but sometimes people have no choice if they want to survive. It's called survival cannibalism and it tastes like chicken. So. <laughs> For a long time, it was a survival technique. Um, and they talk about all these well-known examples. The one that most people know is when the Uruguayan rugby team was going to compete against the Chilean rugby team mm. and the plane was going through the Andes and it, its wing hit a mountain and then some of the people got sucked out at that point and mm. then, like, the other wing comes off and then it's just the body of the plane and then it toboggans down a mountain. <sighs> And they like twenty something people survive, mm. but then there's an avalanche, yeah. and some of them get buried. And then they take stock, and they've got chocolate, a little bit of wine, and some snacks. Mm. They don't say what the snacks are. 
Tell that was really anyway. nondescript, I thought. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you listen to it too. Yeah. So uh, the trouble with it is, so they were Uruguayan and the majority of them were strict Roman Catholics, mm. so they do have a problem with eating human flesh. <laughs> do they actually outline that in the Bible or it's not even... I would have thought it might well, not even be considered mentioning. That's what yeah. I... Knew, it didn't make it into I the top ten. I knew you were going to ask that because you're kind of obsessed with the Bible, Adam. And I found a quote that says, in the Bible, it says, no man hath greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Oh. I think it's like a mm. green pass. Yep. To, yeah. So, um, so they, made, they started making packs because the search party got called off. And so they're like, oh, okay, well, if I die, you can eat me. And they're talking about it. And then the, in the book about it, um, oh, one of the survivors' really book, sweet, Miracle it? in the Andes, 72 days on the mountain yeah. and my long trek home, he writes about how at a really high altitude, your body's needs way more calories than normal. Mm. So they, and in the cold. And especially a yeah. rugby team. Like, that's a massive... <laughs> yeah. They oh. didn't have any choice, really. So they were starving, and they, they tried to eat the leather torn from luggage, um, but it had chemicals in it that were bad for them, and they ripped open seat cushions because mm. they thought they'd be full of straw. And they did all this stuff, and then they just, in the end, they had to... Yeah. Mm. So, Are you um, going to bring this home to anything with an environmental theme? Yeah. Okay, let's, yeah. let's see where this um, goes. And my next example, <laughs> they talk about um, Jamestown in colonial America. Yeah. Um, it was 1609, there was a very bad famine. Everyone was, 80% of the people died of starvation that winter. And um, they, there'd been rumours that they cannibalised each other, but there was never any proof. Mm. But in 2013, 13 archaeologists found human remains mm. that showed that this 14 year old girl had been eaten indeed yeah i listened to that and that um, was a couple of years after the 1607 drought so they were having a bad time yeah. a real bad time and a boat with 300 people showed up so they hey yeah what's for tea <laughs> yeah so that mm. was um yeah. pretty bad timing and then um so what, what, to bring it back to Greening the Apocalypse, it got me thinking if there was a disaster and we were trapped in the studio, mm. I would eat you. <laughs> like I was thinking, would I? Would, are you, like, would I cannibalise Adam You seem like you jumped to a Grove? conclusion. Yes, I would. Yeah, you would. To survive. Okay. you got to kill would, us for Is the feeling, like, would you mind if you died first that I ate you? Um, no, that's cool. All right. Oh. See I think it'd be <laughs> if you're into speed dating. I reckon that's a top question on a speed dating night. Like you sit down, you got thirty seconds. Say if you had to eat a person in an emergency, what type of person would you eat? And yep. that'll separate like your lifelong partner from he's. I'm not yep. into him, but I, I often thought because I like gaming, like I like venison and I like roux. So the person that's probably most similar to that is a crossfitter. <laughs> and they're also the people who most regularly annoy the shit out of me. <laughs> they're just they'd narcissistic. They'd live longer than you would have so many protein bars hidden No, no, no. Person. Their calorie requirement would be so massive that they'd be lightheaded within six hours of um, being cut yeah. off from their, you know, shake. <laughs> yeah. So I reckon that's, that's for me. I, would, um, I might start carrying Tabasco around. Yeah. Just in the rare event that I do have to eat my friends. Mm-hmm. Just to mask the taste. You know that when you you smell wee after you've had asparagus, like if your crossfitting mate um, who just laid down their life for you had just had asparagus, would that taint them, you think? Mm. And by virtue of that, your urine the next day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
unbearable. Important <laughs> questions <laughs> considered. It's been really You're listening to Greening the Apocalypse, where we cover the tough stuff. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR FM in Melbourne, Australia. You're on Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R. Tonight in the studio, we've got Dino Callaghan, a.k.a. Dino Goodbrew from the Goodbrew Company, CEO thereof and official title of Abundance Generator. Uh, Dino's also involved with the Save the Planet Party. We're going to start by talking about um, your business and we might come back and talk about politics. So welcome to Triple R, Dino. Thanks, mate. It's great to be here. Awesome. Now... Uh, you um, have the business, uh, good, the Good Brew Co, co- yep. company, and I um, have sampled your beers in the past. I don't know if you're still making them, are you? But you are doing other things. Do you want to tell us what, what, what the business is up to? Sure. The Good Brew company is mainly focused on probiotics these days. Mm-hmm. We're doing um, symbiotically fermented drinks. Yep. Our specialty is kombucha, and um, we've got five flavours. Do you ever all call it booch? Booch, yep. Yep. The Mighty Booch. We're doing some pretty good stuff with it. Um, yeah, we're fixing people. We're, um, we're smashing sugar addictions. We're mm. easing the effects of all sorts of different diseases. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And, um, but the main thing is we're just replacing soft drink, which is a mm. hideous industry. Uh, and uh, we like to just get in there with a, with a local, sustainably crafted product. And yep. Yeah, it's great. And people would be... F- I mean, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed if you do anything in Melbourne that involves the outdoors and human beings to have not seen you previously in your trademark uh, green suit yep. or or in the um, in the kilt uh, yep. on, the, on the bicycle. So there's a sustainability aspect to the business. Yeah, the, the early days um, before we had national distribution, um, we were doing a lot of... Uh, usually pretty urgent keg deliveries mainly because um i don't know i guess it's the irish in me or something or it's a genetic thing but i tend to be late for events and um so i'd be hurtling down sydney road on a on a pushy with uh, a couple of kegs on the back of the bicycle and um usually getting to an event or usually a wedding just in time um and uh and then you know we 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 started uh, riding around and doing parks and just anywhere we could make a difference and um i guess the idea was that even though it was a lot of fun and we were earning enough money to pay the bills so we could keep the business going, it was also about um, making a difference environmentally because uh, the more drinks we were serving on tap in reusable cups, the less packaging was being produced and purchased and all the rest of it. Awesome. Mm. Um, I was going to throw in a quick quote from our current illustrious leader because according to Malcolm in the Middle, uh, there's never been a more exciting time to be alive in Australia and innovative. How's that working for you, Cobber? <laughs> Being um, innovative. Yeah, well, I guess if you can get over the, the, the heartache and the, and the, and the um, I guess, the gut-churning, vomitous um, vitriol spewing out of mainstream media when it talks about, um, you know, these, these, these political parties that we, we're forced to be, you know, led by... Um, because uh, you've been touched up quite heavily by regulation and, and that sort of thing. I mean, this is one of the main things we want to discuss. Okay, yeah. So, yes, I do feel I do feel a bit pissed off by that statement because I think, um, as far as innovation goes, that's uh, something that I like to pride myself on. Um, my original title before I be called myself the Abundance Generator mm. was the Ideas Man, and um, I did come up with a lot of different ideas. I've, 
Um, actually, I stole one of them, and that was uh, <laughs> the evacuated heat tubes on the roof of Buckley's yeah, right. Brewery. That was uh, straight out of Mountain Goat. Um, yep. You know, one of the original uh, amazing small craft breweries from mm. that, the resurgence of craft breweries in the, in the 80s. Yeah, they were there early, weren't they, yeah. 99 or so? Yeah, we, I mean, we had a plethora of craft breweries because that's the only way you could make beer back mm. in the day, um, and they all got bought by CUB. So what, um, what did, that, what did uh, the evacuated tubes on so the roof So the evacuated do? heat tubes on the roof of a brewery are all mm. about preheating the water that goes mm-hmm. into the brew. Now, we still use that for our, our tea when we're using the brewery um, half the time when we're making kombucha, the other half the time it's making beer. Um, so that it gets a it gets a workout. It's an amazing um, way to minimise the carbon emissions involved with brewing because instead of having to boil ambient water, you, mm. you, the water's at 75, 80 degrees sometimes um, straight out of a big tank mm. that's um, also uh, quite conveniently having all its uh, chlorine content dropping out of it because you've got this 1,200-litre tank that's sitting there being slowly heated yeah. through a connection to a, a cycle um, on the roof, uh, the evacuated heat tubes. And then basically it means you've got great water, it's ready to go, it's hot, it's fresh, um, and it's got no chlorine in it. And Where's the chlorine go? Um, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I guess it evaporates, yeah. It, yeah. it, it um, Basically, when we're, when we're... It's super hot. I mean, it's in, a, it's in a sealed container, so I've often thought about that. But what's happening is it's, it's warm enough that when it is poured into the sparging, to the, the mash tun where it yeah. sparges and, and, and gains nutrients from whether it's tea or, or grain, um, there, it is access, it is... It is open to the air so mm. that's where the chlorine's just sort of rushing out of it yeah. Yeah. um uh, it's quite inert too by that stage yeah indeedy so the situation that we have is you're um, running a good business mm. and you're minimizing your environmental uh, footprint um and yet along comes a group of regulations non-standard across the country yes to sort of stamp on what you're doing can you run us through uh that because i mean that's really what we're touching on tonight is the small producer and the innovative yeah. producer I was, I was, if I can coin this term, clusterfract by. Uh, <laughs> nice. I was clusterfract by uh, by two particular legislations. Um, one of them, a state-driven uh, liquor licensing legislation, and the other one was uh, federally connected but locally enforced. Okay, so we have. We all know we're over-regulated in this country. Um, and I think state governments are completely redundant, but that's another another conversation. Um, but anyway, the local government, which I, I love local governments, I think they're great. You know, they look after the recycling, in theory. I still haven't been to a recycling plant to see how Moreland Council recycles their soft plastics, but I'd be excited to know if they really are. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, local councils do good things. Now, uh, the local council around the brewery in Healesville that I use for brewing kombucha decided that they needed to enforce uh, the fact that kombucha, because it's such a new product, okay, it's been around for 6,000 years, um, is a yeah. new product, it, 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 is, it, is, it goes straight into the high-risk category. So um, even though, and on the website I checked it out, a, a microbrewery is allowed to, and this is a, written on the Yarra Rangers Council website, is allowed to brew beer, cider, wine and soft drinks. According to the state legislation? According to state legislation. No, according to federal health and safety laws. Yeah. Right? Um, And enforced by local. And basically, uh, but state had something to do with this as well because there's Vic Health, which is also... So basically there was 
multiple levels of government just on the food safety issue um, that wanted to talk to me about the fact that I was brewing kombucha, a high-risk food um, uh, at a low-risk brewery. Um, I said, look, I don't think this is very fair. It doesn't say on the website that kombucha is in its own category. And they said, oh, well, that's because we haven't updated it yet. And uh, I said, well, come on, it's a pretty important thing. It's, it looks like you're about to, you know, you, you want me to recall my stock. I'm in 950 shops around the country. It's going to cost me a lot of money. And they said, mate, you shouldn't have broken the law in the first place. And I said, well, hang on a second. This is the website. I'm not breaking any laws. And then um, one of the health safety inspectors said, oh, by the way, I tested the alcohol content of your kombucha. Now, this is another problem with... He personally. He personally. He personally has a $40,000 machine, and that's the other problem. It's it's a very complicated (laughs) thing to test the alcohol content of a kombucha because it's not just beer, right? It's not... Mm. You can't just use specific gravity to test the alcohol content of it. Um, Specific gravity means for all the budding brewers at home the um so the viscosity the thickness of the liquid as it it thins out as it becomes alcoholic and if you have one yeast acting on a beverage Mm. then it's going to um get thinner and more alcoholic just from that one bacteria but the problem is that kombucha is a microcosm of amazing symbiotically uh what is a scoby symbiotic uh colony of bacteria and yeast so they're basically living together in harmony and the yeast is making alcohol but there's four or five bacteria that are consuming that alcohol and as turning the, it into the vinegar flavors yeah they? the acetic yeah. acids the yeah. gluconic acids the glucuronic acids there's the acid chains in kombucha are so beneficial and so healthy they help the russian weightlifters for example um hold gold medals for decades because every time you rip a muscle like i that's why i need to get kombucha into health food shop into i do have it in health food shops but into um, gyms is because you can use it to radically repair your muscles very quickly once you've been working out um for it just for starters i mean there's so many things you can do with a symbiotically brewed beverage just like sauerkraut so much better for you than cabbage you know if i put a scoby on my head Mm -hmm. will i learn a language faster (laughs) yes i think there may be limits to its superpowers (laughs) depends where you are if you're living in a foreign country and you've got a scoby on your head you'll learn a language very quickly because you have to explain it to everyone and i think that will have its a but you can um, you should throw a scoby at a politician (laughs) <laughs> Why waste yeah. a scoby? <laughs> and you never know. I might, I might, it might help them a bit. Scobies can heal wounds. For, the, right? for those that have never seen it, um, what's what's a what, what does it even look like? This this symbiotic combination of uh, yeast and bacteria. Bacteria, yeah. It's a it's like a jellyfish. So it's like a disc. Mm. Um, so the four different bacterias mm-hmm. form together and make a. A sort of sludgy solid. Um, it sounds delicious, doesn't it? Anyway, but basically, it's it forms a, a gelatinous compound, yeah. which is very, very hungry for alcohol. Right, mm-hmm. so it's like a sunbury bogan uh, on a Friday night, and yes. basically, yes, <laughs> I mean, it also creates what it needs, right? So basically, the, the symbiosis. Is yeah, yeah, sunbury yeah. bogans do too. You know. Right, yeah, there's some of them brew. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. homebrew. Yes, you know, the clever ones. Um, yeah, so um, anyway, to cut a, to cut a long story short, it's it's a it's a really amazing living uh, bacteria slash yeasty thing that is so self sufficient because it's producing its own alcohol and then feeding mm. off that itself and then producing these healthy uh, acetic acids mm. um, that NASA uses them as poultices on their crew. 
It is actually a poultice of the future. It is a poultice that will fly off. No, it sticks to you. No, but they're in space. How do they stick it on? It sticks itself. Ah. It merges with your skin. So I was thinking when you guys were talking about the cannibals that were eating each Mm. other, I was thinking, yeah, you can use them as band-aids. I was thinking, like, if you had access to tea, I mean, obviously you're starving and there's no food anywhere, but if you could possibly get some kombucha going on and you wanted to eat meat, you could actually take a chunk out of someone's leg mm. and then put a scoby on it and let them... The, the, it yeah. would help the wound knit oh. so quickly that you could have another go at it a week later. Right. Uh, and you could actually have kind of someone sustainable just constantly... Cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Never-ending yeah. scoby leg. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, beautiful. So, thank you. Yeah. So where are we up to now? So we've you've had to correct you've had to do a recall mm-hmm. um that's not going to be cheap it was horrible um i'm i'm open sourcing everything actually including my financial figures um yep. so the recall cost me ninety thousand dollars yep uh and uh i with the love of friends and family and uh and unfortunately i'm still with a, a, a dirty bank that um that sponsors coal mines but um you know, I can't. I just, I, I have to keep sub. I have to keep paying that loan back because uh, if I just leave the country and leave them with a debt, which is what I'd love to do, because they're, uh, you know, they're unethical as frack. Um, um, so, um, so you know, back to the back. So, to the what the thing is is that so in federal law that mm-hmm. says that you can have up to one point five percent and one point one five one point one five. So that's food safety Australia and then New Zealand. Victorian laws is 0.5. Yeah, now we talk about... So we talked about the cluster fracking before. So the first one, the first thing that got me was the food safety. The second thing was the liquor licensing thing. Now, it it is... It it varies from state to state what the alcohol level of a soft drink is. Yeah. Victoria and Queensland are the... And Tasmania. Yeah. Victoria, Queensland, Tasmania are the irregular ones. Mm -hmm. They've decided that uh, anything above 0.5% is an alcoholic drink. Mm. Yeah. Right, which makes things really difficult for craft brew kombucha producers. Yeah. Right, because if you want to make a drink fizzy, now we've all had a little bit of kombucha tonight and it was fizzy, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to have, to make a drink fizzy from ambient, which is what I do as an environmentalist. I refuse to snap, chill and force carbonate, which the other kombucha brewers do that, mm-hmm. are, that are at my level, at producing as much as I am. Um, now, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong food-wise or nutrition-wise with what, with what other companies are doing, but there is a, something wrong with it for me. There's something wrong with that environmentally mm-hmm. because what they're doing is, is something that is completely unnecessary. Mm. Right, what they're doing is they're they're putting fake bubbles into a beverage that should be able to produce its own bubbles. Yeah. Now the problem is when you produce your own bubbles, you produce alcohol because when you're producing, when you're in an anaerobic environment, so when you've got the lid on, right, you've got no air in there, mm. then the yeast starts going nuts and the bacteria stop working. Yeah. As well, so the bacteria stops consuming the alcohol and the yeast makes the alcohol and it makes the bubbles. Now that little process of making anything bubbly brings the alcohol content up to about half a percent. Yeah. Now that is the a maximum level that I can have. Yeah. So what we had to do was come up with a technique for getting our mothers, our big thousand litre vats, to produce a perfect, medicinal, delicious, bacteria-rich kombucha that could sit at 0% alcohol. And that was a lot of playing around with recipes and sugar levels and, um, you know, my poor distributors were ripping hair out of their head going, why is it tasting so different every time? And I'm like, well, we've almost nutted it out, you know? And, and it was always good for people and it was always a great 
great, beneficial, delicious drink as far as I was concerned, but the levels of sweetness was dropping and raising it. Um, so you got in strife because the Yarra Council, is it Yarra Council, mm-hmm. tested your... Yarra Rangers. Comp- Yarra Rangers Council. Tested my birch. Ke- tested it and they said it was one... Point six. It was well, one point four, one point two. Yeah, varied. Um, it always varies. Um, I we've got it down to under point five percent. Yeah. Do you think that their testing was accurate? Um, that's another question. Because of the, the the complex nature of the way the kombucha is produced, the testing is very difficult to do. Mm. So you 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 can't actually test it the same way you'd test beer. Yeah. Right. So. Um, the machinery that we've got at the brewery uh, that tests it is it about there's a two thousand dollar machine. It's mm-hmm. called a, see this is a funny one. It's called an ebilliometer. So I thought ah oh, an ebilliometer and it tests it by working out the the boiling point of the liquid. Yeah. I was like oh it's an Australian invention. That's great. But then I read the manual and it's ebilliometer. <laughs> it's a it's a French one. <laughs> it's not an ebilliometer. That was a lovely accent. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R. You're on Greening the Apocalypse on Triple RFM, and we are in the studio with Dino Goodbrew, CEO of the Goodbrew Company, and we've been talking about your kombucha and your kombucha experiences with the legislative powers that be. Um, is, it, is it so you, you talked us through how it it was classified as a novel and therefore potentially dangerous food stuff and then tested to be above alcoholic levels. Is it back on the shelves now? It is back on the shelves now. As far as the novel thing goes, what, what they're afraid of was uh, wild yeasts. Mm. So unknown inoculants was, yep. is the term that they use. Now, these wild yeasts are crucial for our health. So I started a movement with a, with a group of friends um, who are continuing it and we've got the friendship of the slow food movement and we're called the living brews and foods protestable movement and we've already done one up uh, near castle main actually and um we'll be doing more soon so if anyone wants any information about that it's livingbrews.com that's Beautiful. that's that um so the the good thing about that is that all this high-risk food stuff meant that all of a sudden I had to process everything. I had to document everything, um, which is probably a good idea in most businesses. And um, all of a sudden we came up with a technique that I was told by um, a lot of breweries in America, like maybe 148 of them, that it's impossible to have a bottle-conditioned, shelf-stable, living probiotic that sits under half a percent. Mm -hmm. That means a drink that gets fizzy by itself, that doesn't need to be refrigerated, that can... um, there can be a kombucha and not go over half a percent alcohol. You're like Willy Wonka. I think so. I'm Dino Goodbrew. I mean, that's the good thing about giving yourself a name, a funny name. Like, I haven't brewed anything shit since I called myself Dino Goodbrew. It's great. That's awesome. Like, yeah. Nominative determinism. That's what that's <laughs> um, so I just have something. I did the maths. So you know how they said it was 1.6%. Mm-hmm. And then if you Absolute work that sense. out, it works out to be... standard drinks. Mm -hmm. So could people get drunk on kombucha? You'd have to drink a lot of it. Um, You'd have to drink a lot. You'd have to be very, very sensitive to alcohol. Yeah. Um, So my industry is a wellness-focused one, and um, 
occasionally people say they feel slightly lightheaded after my, after one of my original recipe brews. Yeah. Um, doesn't happen and anymore. You're like that just had crack in it. That's not the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> That was the special brew. Um, yeah. No, you can't get drunk on it. Basically, there is a vice episode and i encourage people to google it um as a vice video about a dude who tries to get drunk on kombucha and he ends up just giving himself the shits <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's pretty I, funny. do you know celebrities that enjoy kombucha uh, because i've looked them up yeah meg ryan yeah right madonna good um renee with the spoon and this is R- where Reese i think Witherspoon? oh yeah that's what i meant and this is where your problem comes in Lindsay lohan oh uh, yeah that's so people probably thought she's drunk she likes kombucha. They probably put those two things well, together. Well, she she said it was the kombucha that got her that, that <laughs> blood alcohol level. That's what oh, she said. Oh, true. Are you serious? Yeah, she pegged it on wow, kombucha. Um, yeah. She She took, yeah, that's just to get off her fine. Oh, she's take, help her taken down, down an industry. All, but it did yeah. affect the kombucha industry slightly Damn. badly, I think, because she's a celebrity and Americans love them. You okay. need an Australian celebrity for your beverage. Yeah, if there's anyone out there, um, I, yeah, there's a contact page on my webpage. It's uh, goodbrew.com.au. I'm always uh, happy to give free kombucha to someone. I reckon you've got to go after Hugh Jackman with a before and after shot when he got up for Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> and before, He puts after. the kombucha on his... He, he actually offs, yeah, offset. Yeah. He, he, they, he's his own stunt du- double and he gets cut up a bit and it looks like fast <laughs> healing, but that's just the scope. It's just the scope. Exactly. This shit sells itself. I reckon Noni Hazelhurst. That's who you want. That's second choice, of course, after Hugh as Wolverine. She looks like she drinks the elixir of youth, doesn't she? Yeah. Mm. I'll go with that. Uh, well, now beyond the business, yep. and I don't know if you're taking these uh, struggles you're having with regulatory issues um, through into the political sphere through this, but uh, you are involved in the Save the Planet, which is a new political party, uh, which seems to me is one that puts climate change emergency at the forefront is that is that fair to say and can you tell us a little bit more about absolutely i would love to talk to you about save the planet can i just start by saying i need to say hi to some beautiful little people who have the shiny happy beautiful creative faces and minds that represent the reasons so many of us fight so hard for climate action in our politics our workplaces and our homes and i just want to say hi to tuckabee and olive and all the kids in the solar powered preston posse right on there you go. Boom. Did that one. All right. And um, I would... That's, I mean, that's it. That's the reason we do it, is for yeah. future generations, you know. So I am a candidate for a po- political party called Save the Planet. We're, we exist to create dialogue around the fact that there is an urgent requirement for massive action on climate you know, we have a we have a, a very, 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 very volatile situation happening on our little spaceship Earth. We've got, you know, recently the horrific news about 400 parts per million at Cape Grim, yep. um, one of the most remote areas that could, you know, there shouldn't be carbon dioxide down there. Um, and it's a, a, a good place to measure what's going on in the atmosphere. Mm. Um, it's all human-induced. Um, we're cooking ourselves and it's scary. And, and, the, and, and, to be up against corporations who are lobbying governments to to not do anything because otherwise they won't get their sponsorship. You know, they, you know. Imagine the Liberal and Labor Party without fossil fuel sponsorship. They'd be they wouldn't have the prom- promotions. That, that what um, what sets Save the Planet apart from the Greens? What sets us apart is what sets us apart is that we're pushing for radical action on climate change. Yeah, right? so you're so, like dark green. 
Yeah, you could call us that. Yeah, with a with a with a green suit on the on the solar powered bike guy who's peddling drinks and usually selling them without a liquor license in a park. We're pushing hard for real change. And they're going past change. in a tram and you're like, fossil fuels. You <laughs> 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 there better be a solar powered tram. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're we're pushing for for extreme action. We're 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 sick of um, people not pushing hard enough for it. I mean, the Greens are doing a good thing; they're courting a majority of, of voters. But at the end of the day, um, they don't want to say that we have a climate emergency. They don't want to say that we need not just to to stop emitting carbon. They they don't they need to say we need to start drawing it down. We need negative emissions by twenty twenty, and if we don't have negative emissions by 2020, and the writing's on the wall now, the writing's on the wall now, if we don't have negative emissions by 2020, there's not going to be community radio to lobby for. We'll, we'll, we'll be all... It'll be Mad Max. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's horrific what, what we're looking at. And, and, and some of the people in the Save the Planet Party are actually quite upset with the Greens because what they do is they lull people into a sense of security because the Greens aren't actually saying we need emergency action on climate change. Mm. So if they're not saying that, but they're the Greens, then maybe we don't actually need emergency action on climate change. Mm. And, mm. A, and at the end of the day, of course, it would be better to have the Greens in power than any of the Liberal rabble, you know, like, yeah, because both parties are sponsored by fossil fuel companies obviously the liberal company is sponsored liberal company the liberal party no that was beautiful <laughs> i see what you did then yeah <laughs> is sponsored by more of them you know yeah. um and 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 to, to greater extent so they'll bend over even more backwards to mm. help out well these. one party sponsors the bosses of those companies the other party sponsors the workers of those companies effectively yeah that's really the difference they were on q a last night you had yep. albanese and pine or elbow yep. it was a case of trying to recognize the difference between an ass and an elbow <laughs> Hey, <laughs> see that? Political puns, Adam. And uh, at the very... This is what blew me away. At the end of that... Sorry, they opened up the show and I walked away and went and read my book. And I came back at the end of the show and at the start of the show, um, Pan, the fixer, was talking about how only Liberal or Labor can govern. Once you vote for Green or minority parties, you bring about the chaos. This is what his exact words were. And that's what he wrapped up with. Mm. And... And me and my missus were talking about it afterwards, and she said, if that's all they can take into this election, then that is just piss weak. Mm. That, their entire stance has become only we or Labor can govern and what? everyone else will cause chaos. Mm. That's what, it. What are some of your policies, your party's policies? Uh, it's just what Bushy was saying, then, as far as cause chaos goes, mm. the, the chaos that they're talking about is the chaos that would happen when there's other people in that area looking at the amount of corruption mm. that those those politicians are, uh, are swimming in, you know. Um, and that's, the, that's why we need diversity in government. We need so many more political parties, you know. Uh, I lived in Germany for six years. There's Coalition governments run perfectly well. You know, you have a, a hardcore green element, you have a religious element, you have a socialist element. They all work together and they all are very good at writing policy in their fields. Yep. Anyway, so, but the question... Did you, yeah, I just wanted you to bust out one of your policies. Okay, I'll bust one out. Basically, it's um, to draw down carbon as quickly as possible. 
So no new coal, no new coal, no no more carbon emissions from from dirty power, straight to renewable. But then to actually start drawing it down, and you can draw down carbon from the atmosphere using biochar. Mm. Um, Adam, I'm sure you're a, a big fan of the the short rotation, long rotation agriculture. Um, we don't actually have to go to a full vegan diet, and um, I mean, as, as I think the compa- compassionate people around us that are doing full vegan diets, good on them, and thank you for the, for what you're doing for future generations. But there is a, there is a possibility of having animal agriculture that um, would help the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, We've spoken otherwise? to many of those farmers and we'll continue to speak to yeah, them. Yeah, and I've, I've yeah. enjoyed listening to those, those mm. shows. Um, I guess, and massive revegetation effort. Yeah. And stop, fuck, stop fracking logging. <laughs> like, like, what is going on in Telangi Forest? It's, just, it's the habitat of our, our, our faunal emblem. It's a water catchment area for the whole city. And we've got bogans driving out of there every 10 minutes with a logging truck full of logs. And the amount of times I've just gone, no, this is not right, and just stopped my van in the middle of the road and just stood out there and just, just stopped the logging truck and just, just to hang, just to stop him for 10 minutes, you know, mm. and at the futility of that action that he, 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 the cops will turn up and they'll be like high-fiving each other and send him on his way. The system is shite, you know, it's not right. It needs, we need massive changes and that's why I'm so active and that's why I run for politics and that's why we need Save the Planet. You know, and, the, and just because we just because there's a newer in, environmentally focused political party doesn't mean that we're going to be drawing votes away from the Greens. To the contrary, we're not left or right wing aligned. We're, we're we're hoping that there might be some right wing voters out there that actually care about the environment, and they go, well, you know what, I'm going to vote for Save the Planet because because they are actually doing something about the environment, and they want to do something about the environment, and we're going to give them the power to do that. Awesome. And our preferences will trickle down, and as long as you put the Greens above the liberal rabble then boom they get elected that's how it works awesome awesome triple r not for everyone for anyone Triple R is where you are. Greening the Apocalypse is the show. We are commencing the wrap-up. Uh, Dino, fantastic. People can get in touch with you. They can uh, sub- get involved with the Save the Planet Party. Yeah, yep. I Big would love that. There's a, there's a link on my webpage, but um, the easiest way to get involved with Save the Planet is to go to voteplanet.net. And, um, yeah, we're looking for members. If we could... We're so close. If we get 500 members, um, that helps us so much. You can be active, you can be passive. If you're passive, it means that we become a political party and you're, you're signed a piece of paper that says that we're real. If you're active, that means you're on the ground helping us out giving out information, talking about the climate emergency and actually doing something for future generations, which is always going to make you feel better when you're a grandparent. And uh, there's still a beach not too close to Brunswick. Awesome, nice one. Hey, uh, thanks, Jed, for hitting the buttons in the correct sequence. Colsey, thank you for coming in. Thank you. I'll see you again real soon. Adam, uh, who's on next week? We're going to be talking about that said dairy crisis with uh, former dairy farmer Robert Pekin, who now runs Food Connect up in Brisbane, which is uh, an alternative way of sourcing food, a whole new different distribution model. Fantastic. We look forward to that. Bushy's my name. We'll see you next Tuesday, but until then, please have all the fun. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.